This episode is sponsored by Podgo. We use Podgo to monetize all of our podcasts and get paid within 24 hours. So if you're a podcast, want to get paid, be sure to check out Podgo. That's P-O-D-G-O dot C-O. That's Podgo dot C-O. And be sure to enter our name in the How Did You Hear About Podgo section of the application. See you guys in the episode. It's the language of the universe. But I don't understand it. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Math and Physics Podcast. I'm your host, Parker. And I'm Ray. And we welcome you back to another episode where today we have the history of physics episode number 84 and today we actually have in my opinion another banger another absolute (laughs) banger like you can't you can't really get better i mean it always just does but so today you've already read the title of course we are talking about stephen hawking oh and carl frederick Gauss. Let's go crazy, <laughs> so crazy figures, monumental figures in the world of physics. As I was just gonna say, if you're in any like form of physics, math, you have. De- I mean, Hawking. The world has heard of him, obviously, also because he's very recent. So mm. Hawking, I guess, is a little mm. bit of another mm. another story. But with Gauss, I, I could see a lot of not like average people not really knowing who he is. But listeners better know him, better enjoy. What mm. we have to bring today's mm. episode. And a little story. I think I've said this before. Mm-hmm. 100% I've said this before. But on the day that Dr. Hawking died, mm-hmm. I was in the Greenwich Observatory. Yes. Yeah. You did. In you London. Yeah. He passed away there. on Pi Day, too. I was there. Yeah. Which was yeah. crazy. He passed away on the day that, that Einstein was Einstein born. Einstein was born. Yeah. It's Isn't that cool. the same thing with somebody else? Yeah, yeah, no, like somebody else, else before Einstein has like died on Pi Day. I yeah, think, no, I think no, it, there is yeah, there is someone like else that. famous that has because I remember like a Pi Day thing was pretty famous when uh, mm. Stephen Hawking passed away. Mm. So there was mm. this whole thing. Anyways, um, also you may have listened to our quick message that we released on Spotify yesterday. We're gonna I mean, d- we're, on all our listening. If platforms. you're listening to this right now, it's no longer up. I'm gonna take it down. Oh, you're gonna take yeah. it down? Okay, okay. So it's no longer up if you but it was basically just because again, we have a lot of school nowadays. So mm-hmm. I'm just letting all the listeners mm-hmm. know, all the viewers know. We have a lot of school coming up. We have our midterms. I mean, basically the whole semester is midterms. It's just a lot of work for us. Yep. So even an hour, hour and a half. Remember, the podcast is not only an hour, hour and a half. It's also like research, it's also taking away time. It's a lot of stuff that we also have to prepare for it. So, you know, sometimes it de- does get in the way of stuff. So we're obviously going to be sticking, trying our best to be sticking to the Monday 12 p.m. schedule, but there may be exceptions. So I'm just letting you know, we will be posting all our updates on Instagram like we always do. I believe I sent out a YouTube post yesterday as well. So we're going to continue to do that. But, you know, just keep up the date if you if you're like, oh, my God, where's the episode? It's coming just a little bit later, just Mm -hmm. a little bit later. So do we have any news? For our listeners today. Go right ahead. Uh, today, we have quite a phenomenal metric. We, I actually am, one second, uh, with the news. Wait, sorry. Oops. You're clicking yeah, on all I, the I, wrong I, buttons I clicked the here. wrong one. No, because I thought you were going to do comment of the week and then I was going to transition into news. But sure, we can do this. Kind of put me on the spot there, Parker. Thank you. But uh, we're at 280K downloads. Damn. Crazy. Thank you to everyone who continues to follow, continues to download our podcast episodes. On YouTube, we're almost at 1,000. We're at like 1940. You mean 2,000. Yeah, sorry, 2,000. We're at 1940. Mm. So keep it up. You know, thank you to everyone who continues to subscribe. Um, yeah, that's basically yeah, our big numbers uh, are for Spotify. Spotify, Don't believe we're we... almost at 16,800. Nice followers nice. that 20,000 crazy will be a 20,000 is going to happen by the way it's been mathematically guaranteed to happen before <laughs> new year's insane word, guaranteed but sure insane but sure sure absolutely crazy so remember to follow the podcast wherever you're listening to this and also come on youtube subscribe leave a comment and uh why wow. should they leave yeah, a comment i was just gonna <laughs> ask you barker why why would 
someone just leave a comment on a podcast? Because every single week we pick a comment and we call it the comment of the week. And That's this crazy. That's such a good idea. This, this week's comment comes from Hari. So started to listen to your podcast when episode 11 or 12 came out. Crazy OG listener. Wow. I found this podcast on Spotify while trying to find some good podcasts to listen to while drawing. Started oh, wow. to listen uh, while I was in 10th grade, parenthesis. Uh, learned a lot of stuff related to math and physics. All the best from India. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank for you, Harry. And make Great. sure to leave a comment on this week's episode. And next week, we might just pick your comment to be the comment of the week. One thing about comments I do want to mention, you might be wondering, where is the giveaway for world scientific just a quick little mention yep a quick little mention I have not forgotten about it whatsoever it's still coming up just a uh, small communication issue that's happening on both parts right now we have picked the winner but we can't announce it yet so. yeah exactly so we're just we're we're, we're just it, we're gonna figure this out yeah yeah, yeah we're gonna yeah. get the book out to the winner and it's we're gonna announce the next one because we got 10 we have yes. 10, so... Oh, we can't... Yeah. I don't know if we told anyone that. No, we, yeah, did. We, we, we did. We did. Oh, we did. Yeah, okay, sure, yes. Sure. We have 10 different books. So, yeah. So, don't worry about that. I mean, if you have commented, don't worry. It's still there. Again, the winner's already been chosen, so, like, there's no real point. But just letting you know to, you know, keep your mm -hmm. hopes up because mm -hmm. someone's going to win. Okay. <laughs> okay, let's just get into it. Let's just get into Boom. maybe the craziest podcast. We're going to go back and forth. Yeah. Like last time. Like last between time. Between the two. I think a nice history keep, of physics. To keep the neurons keep jumping around, mm -hmm. keep the connections going. So How about we start with Carl Friedrich Gauss? Johann Carl oh. Friedrich Gauss. Jeez, this guy had to do that. From Germany. He's from oh, Germany. Okay, so you had to do yeah, that. Yeah, I had to. For sure. For sure. <laughs> Born in 1777. Now, get this. April 30th. But why is that such a crazy thing? Here's why. Because when he was born, his mom actually was illiterate. And she never wrote down his birth date. But <laughs> she remembered one thing, that he was born eight days before this celebration. I think it was like a religious celebration. Okay. And that ce celebration happens like 40 days before Easter or after Easter or something like that. Oh, so they kind of... And Gauss himself calculated his birthday. <laughs> no, Imagine he, like being 15 years old. Oh, when came, was I born? He came, he came up with an algorithm to like calculate dates in the past, in the future. Like, you know, those people who say like, oh, what day were you born? Oh, you're born on a Tuesday, you know, whatever. Like... Like those crazy guys that just like those guys that just connect yeah. like the numbers to the month to the day of the week. It's all know? just an algorithm. Like, like he head. did, he made it. Oh, he's and, the one that made it. Well, he made like one. Or of, he I don't know. Made I don't know if it's like the, himself. He yeah, made yeah, yeah. he made a algorithm. Yeah. That calculated his birthday. The birthday was on a Wednesday, thirtieth of April, seventeen seventy-seven. Wow. <laughs> so, if that doesn't give you an introduction to Carl Gauss, I don't know what does. He, That's definitely interesting. He yeah. was he's one of the craziest not you know cra as in good mathematician slash physicist slash astronomer that has ever lived. He's like one of the greats. Last time we talked about Euler. Euler's mostly a mathematician or did he do physics also? Euler was mainly math. Euler was math. Yeah. Well, Gauss is up there with Euler. He's done a lot of stuff. But back in you know this this sentence, I feel like, goes for any possible time period. <laughs> but I was about to say that back then, there was a lot of stuff to discover. So <laughs> it's true. It's, this it's is true. just this is just true for. It feels harder when it's when it's yourself living in the present. Like, oh, mm -hmm. it's so hard to discover things. But this is just everybody. No, but I mean, obviously, it, it also like the whole thing with oh, they didn't know this. Like that whole that whole yeah. idea is so skewed because obviously, in that time, you just had a different different understanding of things. Like we've understood it like that's our fundamentals. So mm. we can be like, okay, let's no, continue. Yeah. But for someone Definitely. literally inventing this, it's, you know, completely Definitely. different. It's just, you're just in a dark room, mm. just reaching around mm. for things. But Gauss, Gauss is seen not only in math, but like crazy. No, physics, yeah, yeah. That's what I'm physics, saying. Yeah. Physics, yeah. And, but also math. Like they, yeah, no, like I know. A, I know. Also yeah, math. <laughs> he's a big guy in like two very respective fields. So physics, it's mainly thermal, right? 
That is it? No, electromagnetism. Oh, what am I saying? Gauss's law, not, yeah, yeah, that's not thermo. Sorry, yes, electromagnetism. And then math, obviously. Mostly just statistics. magnetism, though, but yeah. Yeah, because all of Gauss's stuff has deal with that. That's cool. That's cool. So yeah. maybe we can transition onto a little biology. Well, hold on, hold oh, on. Oh, oh, continue, on, continue. I just wanted to say a couple more things. So Gauss was like, he was that smart guy in your class when he was a kid mm. who just like knew everything. He corrected a math error his father made when he was seven years old. What? Sorry, <laughs> sorry, three years old. Three years old. My bad, my, my bad, three years old. Um, That's crazy. He, when he was seven, he was able to solve like these crazy problems that nobody should be solving when you're seven years old. <laughs> Listen, if, you, if you've been to a math class, then you've, pr like, I'm, like a, a university math class, you've probably heard this story before. Because the, the profs loves to tell it when you do series and stuff. They love to say this. But if you haven't heard it, this is a good, a good time to say it. When Gauss was in school, a punishment that the teacher would make the, the kids do when they did something stupid would be to add up the numbers, the integers from 1 to 100 and then write it out, you know, write the answer. And when you write the answer, like, okay, punishment done, you know. Mm -hmm. Obviously, if you were to add... One plus two, three plus three, six plus four. You know, mm -hmm. it gets once you get to <laughs> the double digits, you know, it, it gets a little tedious. But Gauss was smarter than that. He figured out. He was he was he beyond did. that. Of course he did. He was like, wait, a hundred numbers. That's an even number of numbers. What happens if I split down the middle, right at forty nine? between 49 and 50 is that how it works or 50 and 51, 51 and 49 yeah 51 anyways um what happens is that you flip one of them like you reverse the order and then you add the two rows together you know what i mean unit by unit like you add one with 100 two with 99 oh, yeah. three with 98 yeah. and those are all constant right like one plus 100 is 101 2 plus 99 is 101. 3 plus 90. So now you separated the list in two. So the first, the two sections have 50 elements in them, both of them. Now you added the things together, and now you have 50 elements of each one having a value of 101. Now doing 101 times 50 is a lot shorter than adding 1 plus 2 plus 3 plus 4 plus 5. So 101 times 50 is 5,050. I came up with that answer in like 3.2 seconds. And the teacher was like, wait, well, not, I'm saying Carl. He, the teacher was like, wow, you broke my punishment by being so big brained. He just, wow. You just did. And now it's a formula. If you want to add up um, numbers, just integers from one to anything, it's the. The final number. The amount of numbers. The yeah, well, yeah. well, the like the because you start from one. Like where yeah. you stop, it's n. So n times n plus one divided by two. This also only applies when you're starting from one. When you're yeah, only from, from one. when you start yeah, from yeah, one. Yeah. But you can go to any number, and that number you call it n, and the sum is just n times n plus one divided by two. So, crazy. Wow. No, I mean, Gauss definitely had like a childhood and a half. I know he has like a lot of stories with uh, him mm. just flexing on his yeah, teachers. Yeah, no, for sure. No, for yeah, sure. for sure. I think we can... He's probably smarter than his we teachers. Can, we can have a whole <laughs> podcast on just his stories. But transitioning on to our other guest of the evening, Dr. Stephen Hawking. Uh, born 8th of January, actually, the same date as my father. Oh. I don't know why. Just cool. 1942. So this was like... Uh, this was like... Uh, I mean, statistically... Well, it had to be somebody's father. Uh, <laughs> you know? you're right, you're right. I am right. You, right. you are right. You are right. I'll give you that. So full Sorry, name. So full, full name goes by Stephen William Hawking, and he was born into a family of doctors. And actually, for a big Dang. amount of time, for a long amount of time, uh, his father was pushing him to get into medicine. That's because, a lot of pressure. Because he said, medicine will get you the jobs. Mm. So he's like, you got to do medicine. And Hawking was always interested in just physics. He was actually more interested in math. Originally, it was like kind of a math and physics kind of thing that he was 
he was uh, he was interested in. It started, I mean, again, high school, no one really is worrying about, but an, un, in his undergrad experience and stuff where his father kind of pushed him to go to Oxford. So at, at that time in, in Oxford University, there was no reading of mathematics. There was no like applied mathematics. So what he had done, he went to a physics and chemistry degree. Hmm. So he started to take basically physics and chemistry, you know, um, instead of his passion for math. And he was still obviously math still comes up everywhere, but like he was primarily focused in, in that area, you know? So he does this stuff. And after, um, after his experience at uh, Oxford, he's like, you give me first, like he was pretty confident in himself <laughs> and he kind of knew that he was smart mm -hmm. too. Cause at his university, like he was, I mean, a lot of people, again, this is just stuff that I'm getting from people places, but a lot of people said that he was kind of bored. He was lonely because he, mm. he found the work really simple, like to understand, to go through. So his undergrad was kind of a breeze. And at the end, he was like, hey, if you give me first, I'll go to Cambridge. If you give me second, I'll stay at Oxford. Wait, what? Second what? Like second place, like oh. in his class, oh. like in his rankings. And while well, he went to Cambridge for his for his graduate thesis, for his PhD, where he just redefined the world. But mm. um, so, yeah, so that happened. And it was pretty funny, I think, in my opinion, just like how he just like, hey, you do this. I'm going to do this. I'm telling you right now, I will go to that university. That's and funny. then there he goes. Wait, when did like the whole diagnosis thing happen? Yeah. So that was a li much later. That, oh, that was when. Yes. Yeah, so that was not much later, but that was in his doctoral thesis. So while he was writing his thesis at the University of Cambridge is mm -hmm. when all that stuff happened. So I believe it was about. Yes, it was, I think, about. I th it was a couple of years before he actually submitted his thesis because what happened was interesting. Now, for those of you that may have seen it, uh, The Theory of Everything, which is a great movie, by the way, it explains a lot of Hawking's personal life really well, but it doesn't really get into like the science of it. So if you want to like just know about Hawking himself, yeah. that's actually a really good movie just to like find out about, you know, how he was with his family, how he created a family like what his friends were like, what he was like, like it gives you a good gist. But actually like the physics itself is in the book. The physics <laughs> the theory of it, is where, the theory oh of yes, it. of course. Yeah. Oh wait, no, sorry, no, it's not the called a theory. In, it's in A Brief a History of Time. A Brief History of Time, sorry. Uh, so the, he actually not even, even in A Brief History of Time, it's pretty. I mean, there's a, yeah, 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 no, for you, sure. You it's learn a movie, lot, of you of learn course. a lot. <laughs> of course, of course. It's a, it's a, I mean, it's a classic, but anyway, so Hawking, um, is yeah. So now I'm gonna obviously focus a little more on the science part of what he actually did, of course. And Hawking is obviously known for his like his ALS disease that he he mm. acquired while in thesis. And obviously, I mean, we all know the story now. At least some of us that have been following him, that when he was diagnosed, they were like, "Well, there's no real point for you to continue your studies." They told him just to drop because Damn. he was just gonna die. Like Damn, he had like he had like I believe like two like years that. to death. Yeah. Because at that time it was like a motor neuro like neuro neurological disease, which is now kind of I mean also known as ALS. Your uh your um what do you call it? Lou Lou Gehrig. Lou Gehrig. Lou, Lou Gehrig, right? Yeah, the the baseballer? Yes. Anyways, so it's basically a, I mean, it, it got worse over time, which is worse. The baseball? I don't know. The base, yeah. I don't know. Which is how it started. Which know. is how it started. <laughs> anyways, because he got it and it started. Okay. So. Wait, he was a, out of, Anyways, topic. we're not, we're not <laughs> getting into that at all. We're not getting into that at all. So he gets this disease, told that he's going to die really soon. Turns out the disease is taking longer to kill him. So he's, uh, he's losing functions slower and slower, Right. And he's just going on with his life, even though he's told not to do anything. He's just like, well, what else am I going to do? <laughs> like, I only have these two years. Let me just do something. Mm. And that's when he did everything. Damn. <laughs> like, I mean, take in, he was told that he would live two years. He lived 70. Yeah. Like, Wait, regardless. 70 more? Yeah. Regard or, or like, cause no, no, no. He died when he was 77. Sorry, sorry, sorry. But maybe so like, like 50, 50 more. 50, 50. more. Either way, yeah, that's, you're yeah. told you're going to die in a, in a year and you live like 60. Like yeah. either way, that's a win. So either way, that's a huge win. And anyway, so what is it that he actually did? At that time, just, just, just a quick little, yeah. we can get into yeah. gas too. Yeah. At that time, the, the Big Bang wasn't really a very popular thing. Mm. It was, there were two popular theories. The Big Bang Theory, which proposed that, well, things had started from something smaller. Mm. And do remember, the Big Bang didn't really have a lot of scientific at all evidence to it because it was just actually invented by a news reporter. 
He was but just, it like he was no, of course he was paraphrasing yeah. a scientist, <laughs> but the actual yeah. science behind it, it was just an idea. It's like, hey, listen, what if the un- like the universe is expanding from something small because we can see it accelerate, so it had to have come from something smaller. Deducing Hubble's uh, Hubble's observations, we can get to hey, maybe the universe started with something smaller and it's now this. Wait, here's a quick question: If you look at any galaxy like in the sky any arbitrary direction are there any galaxies that are accelerating towards us yes andromeda oh yeah 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 that's true so it all depends no, but on like I'm, I'm talking like not in our local cluster no, because all the whole point of the universe's expansion is that no but far- i know but can you like is there one that's not in our local cluster but like still accelerating towards by us? the laws of dark energy and what we understand about the universe no because the whole po- point of it is that it's it's create it's like a balloon and it's like the balloon yeah. analogy, like no, two yeah. things. No matter how, they're always gonna get farther away, right? Unless one is already in motion, which okay, probably wait, would, maybe not accelerating, what just like traveling towards, towards us. I think us. that's possible. That's possible. I think that's yeah, possible. Yeah. I think that's sure, possible. Sure. Anyways, I would expect yeah. though that most of them would be like redshifted. Yeah, most yeah. of them are. Which and then sure. that's what he sees. And, yeah, and you see the farther away you are, the farther. This is you, why. I and that's the crazy. The farther away you are, <laughs> yeah, the faster the, you accelerate, yeah. which should not. You know what I mean? Mm. So that means that the universe is accelerating. Anyways, now this guy Stephen Hawking, PhD. So he's doing his thesis. He's doing it in the works works of cosmology and general relativity. So he has a good. He's act, he was actually called the Einstein of his undergrad, I believe. So a little interesting there. And he was, I mean, at that time, black holes were mildly understood by the general theory of relativity. It's like, hey, there is this gravitational influence on this one part of space that's infinitely curved. And as a black hole is being formed, well, the singularity, well, there's more mass that's being kind of brought into this one point. And when there is enough mass that breaks this critical mass, it's now a black hole. So he's like, wait a second. What if we reverse the process? And instead of a black hole collapsing or, or, or a star collapsing into a black hole, what if a black hole kind of started a star? I have now, an issue with that. <laughs> that original idea was not actually what he went with. Yeah. What he went with is what if we approximate the black hole to be the universe. And this is where it got crazy. Because with the with Roger Penrose, the original stater of the Big Bang, um, with like the inflationary model of the Big Bang, he both of them released the paper and uh he actually this is what this was his PhD thesis actually on on the 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 universe being modeled as a sing, as a as a black hole. And what he did was he mathematically showed the universe's starting point as a singularity. And as it expanded, he basically showed how the general theory of relativity still matches up with what we understand. So he used the field equations to basically show that the Big Bang is our most accurate model that we have today. So when people say the Big Bang is a theory, yes, it's a theory. But with what we know about general relativity, it has been proved. And that proof was done by... Dr. Hawking himself. Wow. Yeah. No, that's crazy. That is pretty crazy. <laughs> that is pretty crazy. Right? Just, Wait, just try to think when about you were, that. When you were talking, I was thinking about how cool black holes are. And I want to like, do another episode on black holes. Black holes part two. But like, I don't know what we talk about, to be honest. We talked about we, a lot of things. We did talk about a lot In the of very things. first black hole episode. But man, black holes are just so cool. I remember I explained how when you're going towards a black hole, it starts as a point. And then mm. once you pass the event horizon, like your perf- your entire universe is perfectly like 50% black, 50% universe. And then the more, like the further you get into a black hole, the more the universe contracts into a single point and the rest of your universe becomes black. Mm-hmm. Crazy. It's cr- Bro, such a black crazy. Black holes <laughs> itself have a whole, I mean, black hole physics is a thing of itself. It's a you- field of itself. <laughs> and Hawking basically, I'm not going to say invented, but he partially, he fueled the invention. Because a big thing that he also did was literally black hole mechanics. That that was not a thing. 
black hole dynamics, black hole mechanics was not really a thing. And he basically invented it. Such a with scary topic. <laughs> I know. Like, how do you, right? So but, with, with thermodynamics and now we know and everything like that, he used that to basically apply it to black holes to make laws mm. like with other with other scientists him and i believe two other individuals they proposed the f- laws of black hole mechanics Damn. for the very first time so just very very in-depth into black holes and cosmology and do remember at this time and even now i mean not that we know much but black holes were highly theoretical the only place that they really existed was on paper yeah right we hadn't seen we hadn't even thought about observing I, one of these things. i have a crazy question Let's and feel it. free Let's to see. answer this question if you're listening to this right now I would I would be genuinely curious to see like what percentage of the population probably not a lot but would you if you had the option to be like okay you get like another 10 years on earth but 10 years from now you get you have the option to be thrown into a black hole would you do it <laughs> like crazy experience why are we this is the crazy. dumbest question though <laughs> like would you would, would you not do it? I would do it. <laughs> be thrown into a black hole. What? That'd be the craziest <laughs> experience ever. <laughs> I guess you're just gonna die immediately. I mean, okay, really, no, you're like, like you're going to die. But first of all, you're gonna be the first person to ever go into a black hole. Second of all, you don't know if you're gonna die. What if there's a tesseract? What if there's the okay. whole time travel thing? Not a not a topic of today's discussion, but I definitely know. a cool. But cool would you? Thought. Would you? Yes or no? I mean, you said like I'm already at the end of my life and the kind of thing and like I'm already dying. So I can... No, 10 years from now. Oh, 10 years from now. <laughs> from now. You would, you would do that 10 years from now? I would consider now? it. I would no, consider it. I would not it. do that. No, I want to live my life here. Black, a black going. hole though. Like Anyways, it includes the trip and every, like you get to see the universe. Okay, you know cool. what I mean? Anyways, <laughs> point being, okay, yeah, point being that Hawking was very crucial in parts of black hole mechanics. No, for sure. And... Because at that time, the Big Bang Theory and the Steady State Theory were the only two ones that were really there. Like, Steady State being that the universe had always always existed and will always exist, mm. right? But the inflationary model had some backing to it, but not many people were convinced, which is when he kind of came up with this mathematical mm. reasoning, posted it as his thesis, and, well, now we know. Thinking the universe is is flat and infinite is so, like, it seems so, like, simple, like it's too simple of an of an answer. Where does the universe come from? It's just literally always been here. But and you have to understand change. at that time, like there are no ways to measure and no ways no, to really I, think about anything apart from us. Wait, there wasn't redshift. Oh yeah, back Hubble, in the Hubble happened. Yeah, yeah Hubble. Hubble. Happened this. No, but steady state also explained that because you can just have individual galaxies moving away. Because remember, like the observations weren't very heavy at that yeah. time. Yeah. Like, it wasn't like we have catalogs and trillions of stars. But it still seems like, like, at the time, you could just be listening to the scientists say these things and be like, really? We're going, now, we're man, going with, we we're going with eternal. Then. We can't <laughs> say that That's the then. answer. Anyways, that's, that's a little bit of Hawking yeah. and how he started his post-career, his post-doctorate post career. Definitely cooler things, and I think you already know what's coming up. I mean, who what about Mr. Gauss? Let's, let's let's move on. I don't to think Gauss. he's a doctor, to be honest. I don't. No think way. They, I mean, this was in the seventeens. I don't know. Anyway, I guess Isaac. Wait, I guess. Wait, the, when was the philosophy? I, I, I don't, I, even I don't know. know. When was Doctor of Philosophy? <laughs> when was doctor of Philosophy, a thing. Like, uh, when did it start? Because it had to start at nine. No way! No, 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 It's a nineteen ninety eight. When was HD invented? Not PhD, like high definition. The first doctorate degree was granted in the twelfth century. So he could have definitely got one. Yeah, for sure. Okay. Anyways, continue. Let Let's hear a little bit about Gauss. Okay. So he was so smart that the duke of brunswick oh. <laughs> whatever that means sent him to college whatever that means okay anyway so, i mean okay somebody yeah, continue whatever. continue he sent him to uh basically a college slash university at the time this was in 1972 so do note if i have quick maths right now he was 15 years old 17 17 yes nine. you said you said 19 oh 1792 1792 okay when he was 15. Mm. 
15 years old going Sounds to university. Good. Okay. He's 15 years old okay. right now. Okay. And uh, so he went there for a few years. And after that, he went to the University of Göttingen. Göttingen. I don't know how to say that. But he went there for another three years. So while he was in university, guess just guess what he did on his free time. Probably invented something. He he rediscovered mm-hmm. rediscovered important theorems on his own. He was just you know what, wow. going from the bare bones and just discovering things that were already known, um, and yeah, he he's a big number theory guy. He likes geometry, shapes, relationships between numbers. For some reason, you know what I mean, mm. like. This number is a square of a power of two that is divisible by only three primes. So it's a triangular diagonal number. Anyways, that's just me making fun of number theory. Mm. So, yeah, that not much, not many interesting things. I mean, obviously, interesting things happened while he was in university. But the, the whole, the gist of it is that he was smart and he made a lot of a lot of breakthroughs that don't really seem like breakthroughs because they're just mathematical things. You know what I mean? Like for example, for example, um, it said that he, he showed that a regular polygon can be constructed with a compass and a straight edge if the number of its sides is the product of distinct Fermat primes. And a power of two. That was a breakthrough. That in wow. seven in seventeen ninety six. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know the 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 weight behind that breakthrough. Like, is that so important? I don't know. It feels rather. Specific. I mean, anything really like based like in that level. Yeah, of yeah, yeah exactly. Sounds like it, would be really it, it seems really specific and really like oh breakthrough though <laughs> I, don't, I don't know i mean i can i can see that i feel I like i feel like calculus is a breakthrough you know that is like a revolution that's not Revol- a break that's like a that's i mean literally changing i mean i mean breakthrough break at a minimum yeah that's, I, know? I don't know but that's what i'm saying like calculus is like is such a high level of a breakthrough that I don't even think they're on really the same level. Yeah, no. Like, this is probably, like, a minor break- breakthrough. Like, a really, <laughs> really, it's a, really it minor. Says, it says breakthrough. I don't know what <laughs> you want to say. It says breakthrough, but so, it's a really minor breakthrough. So, okay, let's let's talk about, like, the things that he did. You know what I mean? First of all, this, Gauss, this, this so guy, many things. This yeah. guy was in algebra. This guy was in astronomy. Statistics. Statistics. Crazy. So important in statistics. Magnetism. Statistics important in magnetism crazy okay so let's talk about a little bit of algebra here so he wrote a bunch of things i don't think it's useful to just start naming things that he wrote so i'm not going to do that but he did uh prove some of the following conjectures which i think is pretty interesting so at the time you had a bunch of statements and people didn't know like if they were true like they guessed they conjectured them but he proved a whole bunch of them so first of all he proved um, Fermat's polygonal number theorem. I'm not going to go... Th- understand, I'm not going to go through the proof, but I will tell you what oh, the, yeah, what the theorem exactly is. Okay. I want to know that. <laughs> okay, so the, the Fermat polygonal number theorem says that every positive integer is a sum of at most n n-gonal numbers. So what does that mean? What does that mean? So... An n-gonal number is not really what you think, but uh, here's what it is. I'll start with an example. Okay. A triangular number is a three-gonal number. Okay. It's basically, if you can make a triangle with oh, those like numbers. Three, like the three, four, five triangles? Yeah, yeah. Five? If you yeah, can yeah. make triangles with that n- amount of dots, yeah. then it's a triangular number trying and three so gonal numbers. So what's the number? Like for three, four, five for the sides, like what's the number related to No, that? no, no, not or like no, that. Not no, like no, that. No. Not like that. Like wait, y- wait. you can have three and then you can have three plus three, six, right? Like you just keep adding rows. You have one and three and then six and okay. then 10 and then 15. 
Oh, you're you talking know? about. Oh, you're talking you know? about the. Yeah, yeah, you're talking like, about like, the. Like thing. cups, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're talking about. Uh, what do yeah. you call it? When you build a triangle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Your Pascal's triangle. Yeah. Yeah, there that's exactly what you're talking about. That's, okay. that's a three gonal number, triangular numbers. And then square numbers is if you can build a square, so you know, three, nine, 16. And then okay. pentagonal number, you got to build a pentagon. So then, you know, it's weird. But, anyways, what, what this theorem is saying is that any positive integer, just for all positive integer, it's at most, so it's a sum of at most n, n gonal numbers. So you can write any integer as you need at most three triangular numbers or at most four square numbers, five pentagonal, you know? Mm. That, like, that's, I feel like the proof for this has to be absolutely crazy. Oh, yeah, for sure. Because you, <laughs> you have to prove this for like, I guess, no, I guess if it, if it can be done with, um, you know, base case and then induction, induction yeah. That would be kind of yeah. Cool. Induction is usually what I was because anytime you have an n, yeah. you can just use induction is what I was thinking too. But I, I guess I'm not really well versed in uh, this kind of stuff. But still, very. Still, I mean, very it's an it's an interesting yeah, no, no, it's an regardless. interesting theorem that he proved. He also proved Fermat's last theorem, which is actually a very famous theorem. There's a, I know there's a great video that Numberphile made about Fermat's last theorem. And Carl Gauss proved it. And so, Fermat's last theorem, it states that there are no three positive integers that satisfy the equation a to the n plus b to the n equals c to the n for any integer value of n greater than 2. We're both familiar. I mean, <laughs> if n is equal to 1, you can find a couple. I think we can. You can find mm -hmm. a couple. If n is equal to 2, Think of uh, Pythagoras, right? Just think of a couple of triangles. If n is equal to three, though, I think you might be out of luck. And I think for any other number, you also might be out of luck. But it turns out that um, I'm pretty sure there's a special case where if n is equal to four, then something weird happens. Okay. But was that the point of the was that the point of the principle or no? Like when n equals a certain number something happens. No, if n is greater than 2. Okay. Then it's not possible. Oh, then it's not yeah, possible. Yeah, it's just not you just can't oh, do it. Oh, that's what you're saying. Like you can't find three positive integers that, you know, raised to the n plus raised to the n equals just an integer raised yeah. to the n. So these are all like very heavily rooted in math clearly. No. So he was For sure, for sure. Wow. For sure. Damn. Yeah. So those were a couple of theorems that he proved. And uh, yeah, I guess now we can switch back to Mr. or Dr. Dr. Stephen, Stephen Hawking. Hawking. Now, the other thing about Hawking, which was really cool, is that um, he started studying quantum mechanics after his original paper, after his big thesis paper on uh, the black hole dynamics and stuff he like that. He started after that. Or like he started as in he got into oh, cosmology and like quantum more. mechanics. And he was a big lover of loop quantum gravity. And he was a big lover of the many worlds interpretation. Yeah. Which we both talked about before here on yeah. the podcast. So he was an avid believer of the many worlds interpretation of quantum mechanics. I mean, not that one way is better than the other. Maybe we can say that. <laughs> Maybe we can say it, but you know what I mean. Like, they're both equally, they have their pros and their cons. You know, one just describing parallel universes at every split mm -hmm. moment in reality, one just describing probabilities, right? So, anyways, this guy starts to get into the thermodynamics of a black hole and starts to basically solve for, like, entropy. Black hole entropy came from mm -hmm. Stephen Hawking. Mm -hmm. We saw yeah. that. Yeah, oh, yeah, type of thing. yeah, yeah we yeah, saw we that did, for him. We, we did see that. So that comes from Stephen Hawking, you know, that whole understanding of how uh, a black hole can get more disordered over time. And the whole, the whole thing with black holes, a big part of black holes that he, uh, he also answered with this theory, but it wasn't his primary response, but it was a consequence of this, was the information paradox. It's, well, if hypothetically I have an object that is destroying matter, mm -hmm. quote unquote, because that's what we believe 
goes on in black holes. Still? Well, not anymore. Okay, talking, but okay, like that's okay, what I'm okay, trying to okay. say. <laughs> but so the whole thing about the information paradox is if that that information should not be lost. That's that's I me. Mean, that's the whole point. So if if let's say there's a one and zero in the universe, that one and zero, no matter where and how molded it is, it should remain a one and zero. And even though that might not have made a lot of sense, what I'm trying to say is an object might not retain its physical properties. I mean, it obviously like after a black hole, it really can't. But the idea is that the net information, that the net material in the universe does not change. So if I give this black hole some matter and it just destroys it, if I think about a logical, like if I think about a logical conclusion, can I just put all the matter in the universe and put it in the black hole and destroy the whole universe? Isn't that um, like breaking conservation No, that's what I'm exactly. That's exa exactly. That's what I'm trying to. That's the point I'm trying to break. That's what I'm trying to say. That when you're just thinking about like putting a, I don't know, like a house into a black hole, you're like, oh, whatever, it's a house. But when you think about putting the whole universe into but it, that's not even possible. Though. Of course, I'm just trying to give you an analogy of understanding what information I'm talking. <laughs> but about. But why would you think about that? I'm just thinking. I'm just talking about. Oh, anyways, man, I'm just talking about materials that would hypothetically go into a black hole. Wait, so are you saying that there's a limited amount of things that the you can put paradox, in a black hole? The information paradox is that if you do happen to put information in, it doesn't come out. So the paradox is, well, where is it? So Hawking comes out with this theory and we all know where this is going going in. Mm. it's going to hawking radiation of course so now this wasn't only him i mean in all scientific papers we should always be mentioning this every single time it's always with other people it's never by themselves but obviously like his name is the primary researcher stuff like that so he goes on there and he was really interested in cosmology because obviously but more importantly this time quantum mechanics so he now ties or tries to tie in quantum cosmology for the very first time so he starts to study like particles or theoretically of course like what would happen to particles outside of black holes and the whole idea of hawking radiation again i believe we spoke about this in the black hole episode but just because i'm talking about yeah, hawking did, yeah. i have to talk about this anyways yeah, yeah. so the base idea is that a, a quantum phenomenon known as quantum fluctuations occur at every given moment of, of time in every single position of space, hypothetically speaking. These are virtual particles that are simply being created and destroyed by the universe. Hypothetically speaking or well, literally no, speaking? it actually happens, but I'm saying <laughs> it doesn't happen every single where and every single time. I'm just saying it, it always happens. Yeah. And the, you know, so hypothetically was a wrong word, theoretically, and it does happen actually. But <laughs> So not hypothetically. So literally, actually. <laughs> so literally. They're, these particles are being created everywhere. They're not actual particles, so they don't hold actual mass. They are simply virtual particles. So they're kind of being created just temporarily just to exist, and then it gets destroyed. Now, you might be wondering, how is that even possible? Search up the Heisenberg uncertainty principle. Oh, the energy-time uncertainty principle crazy. basically allows for quantum fluctuations to occur. It basically states with, a, with uncertainty in energy, you'll have an uncertainty in time. And this... These, this virtual particle system represents an uncertainty in energy. So at any given time, if there is this particle system that just appears out of nowhere, it will have a limited amount of time, which is the uncertainty in time, how much ever the uncertainty is, to give back that energy. The more energy it takes, the faster it has to give it back. And that's basically the whole idea that you have to get into before understanding what Hawking radiation really is. So this is what's called quantum fluctuations. Occur everywhere at all points in space. Now... Hawking does a little bit of thinking. He's like, let's say that this, this making of this virtual particles, that's called, uh, oh, there's no way. No, particle annihilation and particle... No, there's no way I'm forgetting this. Defiolation. No, 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 there's no way I'm forgetting this. No, there's no way. Particle... No, there's no way I'm forgetting this right now. Creation. Particle annihilation is when they destroy each other. And particle, damn it. Anyways, there's something where they get formed. Shoot, I feel really stupid for forgetting this. And I know this, and I'm, I'm going to watch this and feel so stupid because I'm going to figure it out then. But anyways, so these particles get formed in some phenomenon, and or, I mean, it's called something. And in this process, he said, what if this happens at the edge of a black hole? So hypothetically speaking, because these, these fluctuations happen supposedly at all points in time, at all points in space, so if it's happening, 
at the edge of a black hole, well, what would theoretically happen? So Hawking proposes, well, the whole idea of a black hole is that once you're in, you can't get out. So if, because that's technically still a part of the position spectrum of the universe, if a particle just gets popped in there, if one of the virtual particles pops into the black hole and the other one is on the outside, which simply by laws of probability, if it happens everywhere at all time, it should happen there, right? Simply by statistics, you, like, you can kind of understand that it should happen there. So by that, what he basically says is one of those particles can't escape anymore because they have now been tied in to the black hole. Now, this is also a kind of a continuation of the information paradox. This is also saying you've given a, you've been provided a virtual system and you have now provided the universe with more information than it first had. Mm -hmm. How is this possible? And this is his response. This is his response. He basically, he basically, he basically says that in the process of this particle going inside the black hole, the other particle that's on the outside must balance. Basically, if this particle that's going inside is now no longer connected or can no longer annihilate with the other particle, just logically speaking, I mean, clearly the energy is now no longer going back to the universe. So somehow, mm. temporarily, Heisenberg has been broken, question mark. Obviously not, but that's the, whole, that's the whole idea. Where is this particle system going? What is it really doing? You know, if it can't annihilate anymore, that means energy has somehow been, conservation of energy has been broken. So what the, the theory that he came up with. And this is all very, very mathematical. For me to convince you might be a little hard, but it's all very, very, very mathematical. And it's all there. And he basically states that, hey, this guy that comes out, this particle that comes out to balance the energy that's lost in the universe, it gains mass. So what you just heard from me is that a virtual particle becomes a real particle. Whoa. Yeah. I don't know that. And this happens at the edge of the event horizon. And it happens as soon as the other one enters the black as hole? As soon as the other one enters the black what? hole, this particle must gain mass for the law of conservation There's of energy no to work. Way. For the law of conservation of energy to work. <laughs> and this particle that's now being emitted basically has come out of literally nowhere because mm -hmm. where did that come from? And the answer to the information paradox for if I put something in, why is it coming out? How is it not coming out? Is that it's the information or the matter in our universe is still balanced because equally that goes in equally comes out. Now, how does that, how does that work? Very interesting question. Mass. The more that you put in, the more has to come out. And that's with the virtual particle system. Right? In a black hole, if you ever supply it with more mass, you wouldn't think that it has to give more mass away, right? Like it would just retain that more mass. Like you keep supplying, it'll just go bigger and bigger. But what's actually happening, and it just takes a long time, so you don't really see, what's actually happening is the moment you give the black hole more mass, it's evaporating faster. You just so, don't notice it, but it's actually evaporating faster. But. Okay, hold on. Or not faster. Sorry, faster is the wrong term because smaller black holes evaporate faster than larger black holes. It's all, all I'm saying is the mass of the black hole simply dictates the amount of like the radiation coming yeah. out of it. And, the, and this, this, these particles oh. is now de de deemed as Hawking radiation. Wait, does this have to do with the size of the event horizon? Because the bigger the event horizon, the more surface area mm. there is for this to, to have yeah to have these events happening but because these events happen everywhere uniformly through space but if the like compared to a small black hole mm. and a huge black hole mm. like there's just but more proportion exactly no but what, what i'm saying is that bigger black holes but density density would probably be the same now like the density of those virtual particles right just because it's a bigger bigger volume bigger yeah but i'm saying I mean? i'm saying more events happening because I know for a fact that with microscope, like the whole theory behind this is, well, you lose fast, like you lose mass faster, the smaller you get. 
to like microscopic black holes will evaporate instantly because of Hawking radiation. Because the as these particles are, it'll, it'll literally just rip apart the black hole and it'll just evaporate. And a big part of this is also like how black holes die, right? Or mm. not die is the wrong word, but how they kind of, the end of their black hole's life mm. is basically Hawking radiation, right? And understanding that, hey, this black hole is actively giving out this radiation that we to date have not been able to measure, obviously, because this stuff is really, really far away. But it's all been theorized and it does match up with what we have with general relativity because that's mm. how this started in the mm. first place. So it kind of makes sense from where he's coming from. It, it does answer a lot of questions that we did have with black holes originally. Um, it's also, I'm also, I'm also I, I just thought of something that I forgot that I may mention again later. But he does come into play a lot when it comes to just understanding the thermodynamics of black holes because again at the end of the day this is like uh, like radiation being emitted almost mm. and again like we haven't actually experimented on these things but if we do it should make sense because another theory that also kind of goes with this is primordial black holes so primordial black holes which are original og black holes we should be able to see if they're over a certain amount of mass by hawking radiation and if they're under a certain amount of mass, we should not be able to see them because Hawking radiation should have taken that all away. Mm. We haven't been able to see any discrepancies in it, so so far it's good. You know what I mean? So primordial black holes at least also do, I mean, we haven't actually noticed anything yet, but any you know deviation from what we already understand would give us something into understanding what Hawking was trying to say. Mm. But so far, just how black holes basically evaporate themselves and again, the first time that Hawking went a little bit into quantum mechanics, which was really cool. Very fruitful. Very, very fruitful <laughs> indeed. Again, him, him being called Einstein now seems kind of funny because quantum mechanics and everything. But uh, yeah, mm. so that's basically Hawking. That, that, those are like two of his, am I forgetting anything? I don't think so. Those are two of his basically his biggest things. I mean, mm. he's always wanted, it's, it's, it's always cool. Like he's, he always wanted to go to space and he did. Really? Yeah, he did. He did. Like, I'm. Wait, am I forgetting? I, I swear he went in the he oh, went in the yeah, parabolic maybe. plane. Did he I not? I don't think that counts as space. No, but that was his like weightlessness. Man. Yeah, okay. like weightlessness. That, that was his whole thing. I don't think that counts as space. Anyways, but anyways, um, Hawking was a really cool guy. Um, <laughs> it would have been awesome. Imagine <laughs> if he was on the podcast. He came to U of T. He did he come did. to U of T. Literally, didn't Matt see him? No, I swear. Oh, no. I this, know someone that saw came him. came in like the 80s or no. the 90s or okay, something. Okay, then I'm completely tripping. I thought someone like saw him recently. No, Never mind. No. I thought he came like 10, I, 20 years back and like I know of like a TA, not Matt, sorry. Maybe like a TA or something that saw him, but I could be mistaken. Hmm. Anyways, that's Stephen Hawking for you. So yeah. A little bit of that, a little bit of this. Now on to one of the things that dictates your entire life. Oh. <laughs> your entire existence is dictated by this piece of mathematics. <laughs> yep. The normal distribution. The normal distribution. Dumb, dumb, dumb. So basically, let me put it into basic terms. Everything you've ever done or said or was a product of you being alive follows a normal distribution uh <laughs> that's crazy listen yeah. your your height fits perfectly in a normal distribution of a histogram of every human's height ever yeah i thought you were gonna say your height because you're no like you like adding normal. like your data point <laughs> Oh yeah, contributes it will, yeah, yeah, yeah. contributes to, to a perfect fit of like if you draw like if you create a histogram on the heights of every person yeah, in the world, yeah. it will basically create yeah. something that looks normal. Mm. Now, what is normal? Now, okay. I don't know if people everyone seen a normal so, graph before. Listen, a bell curve. Bell curve. Okay, what I actually something that makes me think a lot is that in high school when we were learning about bell curves, I was always wondering like why. Why is that the formula for a bell curve? You know what I mean? Like the what, complicated exponential? What, yeah. Like, why Why can't I just pick... Like, why can't I do pi to the minus x squared? <laughs> it's, just, it's just different, you know? No, there's a reason, though. No, there's a reason, for yeah, sure. Yeah, okay. So, let's talk about, first of all, a bell curve. So, a mm -hmm. bell curve. We've all seen one. It's this thing. It goes to zero at infinity, and then it looks like a bell. There's a nice, 
mean it's symmetrical which is you know a beautiful property property of it yeah. uh there's you know the mean and the like the median and all that stuff is all in one place and the best thing about the bell curve is that well it's it's an equation it has a mean value which you can put anywhere and it also has a standard deviation which just tells you the width of the curve which actually caused so much confusion for me in high school i would i would ask my math teacher he wasn't even teaching me statistics but i went to him for him to explain this to me and even his explanation wasn't even good for my brain to understand he's like yeah it's the width i'm like what do you mean the width the width always changes he's like it's just a number that tells you the width that i'm like i don't I don't really get that, to be honest, because to me, the width is like mm. if if it was a constant width, then that would make sense. Yeah, but the it width, always changes. The width always on your, changes yeah, depending, on, depending on where you are. So yeah. didn't really make. Now I get it, though. Mm. Now I got a solid grip on that. But it just tells you how far in general the distribution goes away from the mean. So if you're if you're. Um, standard deviation is very small it'll be like a spike most of your data points should i be saying data points right now data is i mean that is mostly where we use normal so yeah. i think people can okay. kind of relate well, to it when i say data points i kind of mean area under the yeah. area under the curve um speaking of area under the curve the area under the curve <laughs> is one it's it's normal it was defined to be normalized well yeah though. that's how <laughs> so, you that's how you but this, like the norm the bell curve that we usually use the normal distribution is if you if you're not taking into consideration like um, the standard deviation so just a, a unit normal distribution is one over root pi which is just the normalization constant and then times e to the minus x squared why is this such a cool, <laughs> a cool function? And notice that if you have a function that goes to zero, or I guess you can say the, the improper integral converges, you can find a finite number for the area under your function. Mm -hmm. And to normalize that function just means that you take the integral from minus infinity to infinity or wherever the domain of your function is and you divide it by that value so automatically as you know you can take out constants from integrals um, so if you were to integrate the function that you just divided by the integral you could take that out and then you just get the value of the integral divided by the value of the integral so by definition you get a value of one and normalization is beautiful because in quantum mechanics, we deal with a lot of normalization, especially in statistics. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, quantum mechanics is like a sub subfield of statistics. And whenever you're dealing with probability, probability density, amplitude, everything is just so much better and makes not even so much better. <laughs> just makes sense when you normalize it. Mm -hmm. If you don't normalize something, it doesn't mean anything. No, but it's no, but it depends on what you're normalizing. I mean, obviously, when it comes to any type of distribution, you yeah. have probabilities. No, you so have like, to. You, like, if sure. you don't normalize it, no. literally, it doesn't mean anything. <laughs> like, it literally means yeah. absolutely yeah. squat if you yeah. don't normalize a probability exactly. function. And Gauss, I mean, the bell curve itself is literally. I mean, I mean, obviously, I can pop off on it for statistics, but like, I'm just saying that when it comes just to understanding. Well, probabilities, what's most likely to happen. I think I've spoken about this in an episode where like, and you just said it, your whole life is dictated by a normal distribution. You will get really lucky sometimes. You'll have some really bad days. But on average, you'll have a, de you'll have a decent day. For sure. Unless your average is just terrible. <laughs> you know, that's just sad. I feel bad for you. But anyways, the normal is really powerful. Also for another reason. Because I of, was going to say something cool. Okay, no, continue, continue, continue. Okay. No, no, continue, continue. No, I was going to say something cool because I was talking about normalization. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Continue, continue. So you might ask yourself, <laughs> how do you normalize a bell curve? If I give you e to the minus x squared, how do you do that? Now, here's a quote from our calculus professor <laughs> that uh, we had on the podcast, I think episode number four or five. 
Mihai. Anyways. Oh, Mihai. Oh, I yeah. was like, yeah, that was not four four for sure. The right. episode was called Math We Can't Understand. Yeah, that was such yeah. a good episode. That was such a good episode. <laughs> a we really had no idea what he was saying. Was he was funny. like talking about like Lee algebra and yeah, all this crazy yeah, yeah. stuff. Like obviously it was interesting, but yeah, no, it was definitely interesting. Super cool. But yeah. But when we were dealing with um Wait, when did we talk about this integral, the Gaussian integral in first year? We didn't. No, we did. Not in class. In class, for sure. And here's what here's what Mihai said. Mihai said, um, everybody try this integral. If you oh, can solve yeah. it, <laughs> if you can solve this integral, I will eat my backpack. That's <laughs> what he said. He said that. <laughs> and I, it made me laugh so hard. That's, that was Because so I was like, all right, let me. Let I'm me, just like, it's obviously just not let possible. Let me try this. No, it was not possible. Well, not possible with elementary. Uh, Thinking. No, like. You get uh, Gauss in there, bro? Come on. He would have eaten his backpack. No, for sure. But I mean, elementary integral solving techniques. You can't do any type of substitution or anything like that for this integral. But just a, here's a little outline of how when you do go into more general calculus, for example, multivariable calculus is a little bit more general. You can actually use ideas from multivariable calculus in order to solve this integral. And here's just the general outline. You have the integral. If you multiply that integral by itself, the variable that you're integrating over is just a dummy variable. So you can call one of them x. The first one is over x. The second one is over y. But since you're just multiplying the same integral by itself, it's just that integral squared, right? So now you're solving the Gauss, the square of the Gaussian integral all over infinity. And it's equal to, now you have two dummy variables, but when you're multiplying uh, these like, beautiful continuous functions that means you can just make it into a double integral and now your power is very beautiful because you can turn it into uh, a polar coordinate thing situation and then it becomes really easy if you were to see it with your eyes you'd believe me and then now you have the answer but that's the square of your function the square of your integral so you just square root that function turns out the answer is pi to the square, and which means that the answer to the original one is root pi, which, how fitting. You have e to the minus x squared. Of course, the integral over infinity of that integral is square root of pi. <laughs> like, what do e and pi, like, fundamentally Bidget. have to do with, like, they have nothing, really. Nope. Like, pi is just completely <laughs> separate. E is, like, compounding interest. And what... Yeah, they, they first, like, could you imagine that integral being equal to two? <laughs> <laughs> like, no way. It had to be something like root pi. <laughs> so funny. It, it had to be something like root pi. No, it had to be something complicated. But I'm just saying, it's just it's just so interesting that, like, the world has to work in this weird way. Yeah. yeah. That's a weird Definitely. integral that he solved. Now, listen, I wanted to talk about electromagnetism. Oh, he was a big part in that, yeah. I do think due to time constraints, we might have to end the episode right here. I know. But yeah, it's, it, it is getting pretty late. Yeah, we do. That's the only yeah. thing. Like, we really do want to talk more. But, man, like, as we said, like, we've already delayed it a day. Like, we just yeah. have so much stuff to do. I know you have a lot of mm -hmm. stuff. I have a midterm coming up soon. So we just have just, it's just, it's just work. At the end of the day, I mean, I guess, okay, fudge cake. Kind of wanted to talk. Yeah. Also, one thing I did want to mention is that the black hole thing that I was mentioning is kind of a little, a little different. So the information paradox is still the same that, hey, whatever you put in doesn't come out. But while I was saying it, I was thinking, because the whole point of the information paradox is to like give back the information that you put in. But this has nothing to do with the information that you put in, like this, the, these particles that are coming out have nothing to do with what you put in so that's like what i was thinking for while i was saying it and uh after a quick google search <laughs> so hawking's theory actually started the information paradox mm. because it evaporates this thing and this black mm. hole will one day get to nothing the question is where does the information go so that's actually how it's kind of started it not the answer to it 
So <laughs> that's kind of interesting. And uh, a lot of the thermal radiation currently is actually also provided by Planck's radiation law. So that is currently where we believe the information is coming out from, simply by thermal radiation. So the Hawking radiation should explain a small amount of literal light that we should be seeing that's reflected from these particles. So we should be seeing like a light around the event horizon. And again, I don't, yeah, we haven't actually done anything that's that, that crazy, but I mean, who knows, right? Who knows? Anyways, crazy, crazy individual. I mean, Gauss is too. Definitely could have popped off on the electromagnetism mm -hmm. part of Gauss. We, we can always, continue this a little bit. We always have a next time. Because I think Gauss, we can literally, we can do an episode on Gauss, man. Yeah. I mean, we can really do an episode on any one of these physicists, but we're just here to summarize what they did for you. Well, thank you for listening to this episode of as the always, podcast. As always. This has been number 84. Please make sure to follow wherever you're listening to this. Let's get to 21,000 followers before New Year's. 21,000? 20, I hear you, Parker. I hear you. 21. 21,000. That would be pretty lit. Uh, I really want... Okay, I know. I don't know how possible this is because I've like not been looking at the numbers at all, but 2,000 by 2,000 YouTube by December? What do you think? Yeah. Possible? No, 2,000 sure. subscribers? For sure, for sure. I think we can do it. Right. I think we can do it. Just go hit that subscribe icon. You know, like the video. Comment as always. We love to... Man, I, you have to understand how much we read the comments, but just don't have time to reply to all of them hmm. we definitely i love to read i've read every single comment that has popped up so if you guys are commenting and be like oh he's not gonna no we read we both hmm. read them diligently it's just that we don't always have the time to respond to some of them especially when some of them are kind of like hmm. long where we want to think about a response hmm. so keep them coming we love it as always uh comment down for the comment of the week for next episode all and right. anything else? This has been episode number 84 of the it Math is. and Physics Podcast. I'm your host, Parker. And I'm Ray. And we'll see you soon. Bye, guys.